Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. This morning, uh, as we left off, in our, or as we began our two-part study on the disadvantages of being a Christian, uh, I, I made an explanation of that. We wanted to look at the prospect of becoming a Christian through the perspective of a non-Christian. And we'll get right into our lesson this evening without delay. We have a pretty good bit of ground to cover this evening. Uh, so, part two of the disadvantages of being a Christian. As we continue our lesson this evening, uh, we're going to look at some things, once again, that the world may perceive as disadvantages to being a Christian. The world might say to live as a Christian requires both mental uh, discipline, both mentally and physically. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 and 5 reads, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, it takes a great deal of effort uh, on our part to bring every one of our thoughts into captivity, uh, into the obedience of Christ. Uh, no one should ever think that a Christian can accomplish this overnight. And it takes a lot of prayer, and it takes a lot of training for a person to do this. Christians, uh, every Christian should be uh, working toward this goal and having all your thoughts centered on righteous thinking. You know, there are many reasons why it's important for us to have our thoughts to be like Christ's thoughts. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, and this, this scripture comes from the New King James Version. It reads a little bit better. I like it the way it reads. It says, For he, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. If we allow ourselves to keep thinking about perverse and dark things, guess what's going to happen? Uh, we're going to find ourselves doing things such as that. Don't ever try to fool yourself into thinking that you can continue having evil thoughts in your mind and that you will never act upon them because I can promise you, eventually, if, if, if you continue to have these thoughts in your mind, eventually you're going to act out or behave in the way that you think. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You know, this verse goes very well with what was just said. If you don't keep your thoughts... Uh, centered on God and, and righteous behavior, you're going to become what you think in your mind. That's another important reason for us to train our thought. And that's found in, in what Jesus says here. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is doing here is he's letting us know that, it, that if... 
we're thinking in our mind of committing a sin, uh, like adultery or, or anything that we could think of, then we have already sinned in our heart. So once you have, have conceived an idea in your head and, and you continue to go over it and over it and over it again, then you're just one step away from literally uh, engaging in that sin. And that's why it's so important that we keep our thoughts pure. Let's think about Paul for a minute. Even though he was a very strong Christian, he still had to use discipline every single day of his life. You know, we see this, uh, what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Paul tells us, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Many times uh, we find Paul comparing Christianity uh, to uh, this type of thing. And and here he, he compares it to running a race. And I think we all understand that it takes a lot of discipline to train yourself as a runner. This is actually something I can relate to. Uh, you have to uh, really put a lot of effort into this. Uh, you got to you got to formulate a training training plan or find one. That's a great thing about the internet. You you can find these things uh, readily available, but you got to find that. Uh, one that, that's suitable to your needs, and, and you have to eat right, you have to get plenty of rest, you have to get those miles in, but most of all, you have to train your body, and you have to train your mind to be able to overcome the pain and fatigue that you will eventually endure as you're, as you're working towards your goal. Paul uses this as an example of how every Christian must train their bodies and minds to be able to live a Christian life. Notice that he says... He disciplined his own body into control. But one thing is definitely different between the foot race and the race we run continually as Christians. In the foot race, only one person wins, right? I mean, you you might have first, second, and third place, but there's only one winner. Uh, Even even at... at, uh, that, the, the crown they win will not last forever. But those of us who run the race of Christianity will all receive a crown, a crown that will never fade away. Now, the non-Christian will think that they are free and clear to do what they want. And, and for the most part, I, I suppose they can. They think they can find a lot of satisfaction by indulging themselves in sinful practices. But the truth of the matter is that no one will ever be satisfied because they will continually seek new ways they can top what they did before. Solomon is a man who thought he could do this as well. Look at what he had to say about uh, this matter. It's a rather lengthy reading, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 3. He says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them and all, or planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from water or from which to water the forest of growing trees. I 
bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. We all know Solomon as the uh, the wise one. Solomon had more than any other person, any other man probably has ever had. Uh, yet he could not find satisfaction within the worldly possessions that he had. The only way to become content is by come, becoming a Christian and living a disciplined life, both physically and mentally. Number two this evening, the world might say that the Christian life requires one to undergo shame and ridicule. In John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, I said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You see, Jesus didn't want his disciples to think that living the Christian life was going to be easy. Uh, they were going to have to undergo the shame and ridicule of being uh, kicked out of the synagogues and where they used to be welcomed. They would even be put to death in the name of God because those of the world didn't understand the will of God. You know, there are many examples in the Bible where disciples were not treated fairly by others, and even some, such as Stephen, were stoned to death. But the example I want us to look at is found in Acts chapter 16. Here we find the account of Paul and Silas being put into prison. Beginning in verse 16 of chapter 16, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You know, we have Paul and Silas at this point. They're just pretty much minding their own business, and this woman... Uh, who is possessed with a demon, keeps following them around and crying out uh, that the men were proclaiming God's word. And, and if you really think about it, uh, you, you can understand how annoying this must have been. Everybody's always dealt with that, that thing that's just a constant, continual annoyance. Uh, for me, those are little small sounds. I've, I've often said you could run a jackhammer outside my bedroom window and 
it won't bother me a bit. But if I hear the uh, cord on the blind ticking against the wall, it'll drive me crazy. But we've all dealt with those 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 constant annoyances, and, and we can see where this would begin to be a problem. So if you um, Paul does the lady a favor and casts out the demon, but this didn't set well with those uh, who were her masters and and how she'd been making money from this demon uh, effect that, that was upon her. Paul and Silas weren't guilty of any crime, but they had to face a lot of shame and ridicule as they were stripped of their clothes and then they were beaten in rod, with rods in front of everybody. And this is something... This next part is something that, that the world simply cannot grasp. And that's why anyone would be willing to undergo such shame and punishment. And this, and they certainly cannot understand what Paul and Silas do next. Most of us, our, our, our first reaction, if we have to undergo this type of treatment, is to lash out with, with some type of revenge for what we've been through, but not Paul and Silas. In verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You know, a worldly person oh, might say, Well, why in the world would, would they be praying, especially praying and singing to the God that got them in all this trouble? You know, following and serving this God is what got them into all of this trouble. Uh, the reason why they did is because they understood that they were bringing honor and glory to God. They understood that because of the relationship they had, because of the fact that they were serving God, that they had no reason to fear man who, who could just kill the body. Who they feared was God who, who could destroy both body and soul. Paul put it best when he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. He said, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, a Christian understands that, that whatever happens to us on this earth, whatever thing we have to go through while we're on this earth, either good or bad, is temporary. And whatever we go through will by no means compare to glory, the glory that we'll receive in heaven. You know, those apostles understood this concept, and you can tell it by the words that they say, because after they had been beaten for speaking in the name of Jesus, they, they continued to do this. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Sometimes as Christians, we I think we view uh, suffering, shame, and ridicule as a disadvantage. And at times, it, it causes us possibly to conform to a worldly view, but it's important that that we realize we should never be ashamed of being a Christian and following God's Word. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I hope we never get to the point where we're ashamed of being a Christian 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now the sinner is not without problems as well. Uh, you know, I, I guess we tend to think that uh, you know, they're enjoying themselves. They're doing whatever they want to do. No problems for them. And, you know, I, th- I think we often say, well, their, their problems are yet to come. But, but they're not without problems on, in, in this world. Uh, things don't run smoothly for them either all the time. They face the same problems that, that we do in life, uh, yet they only have themselves to rely upon when they face these problems. As Christians, we can rely on God and the hope we have been promised of a home in heaven. Besides all this, when, when judgment occurs, all the sinners at that point are, are eventually will feel the full guilt of their shame as they're sentenced to an eternity where there will be a great punishment to endure. Uh, so far in this lesson, uh, this morning and this evening, we focused on what the world perceives as being disadvantages of being a Christian. And, and hopefully... I hope we've learned that, that these so-called disadvantages are, are not really disadvantages at all, but uh, they're actually just things that we deal with. Uh, sure, the Christian, uh, as a Christian, we, we're going to have to give up some worldly things, but it doesn't compare, the, giving up those worldly things doesn't compare to the reward that we will receive in heaven for our faithful service to our Lord. Uh, in what time we have left this evening, I'd like for us to focus on a few of the many advantages a Christian has while they live here on this earth. Uh, so I, I, say, I say the best part for last, so we'll, we'll look at a few advantages. Our first advantage comes from uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. While we live on, on, on this earth... We can be very thankful because we have a true peace that that those who are outside the Lord's body will never uh, understand. Uh, we know that that we're united with God, with the God of all peace, and and knowing that He will take care of us brings a, a, a lot of peace in our lives. You know, I think we go we go through a lot of things um, daily. Uh, some things are small, some things are large. If, if it's a problem that you're, going, that you're going through at the time, however small it may seem to other people, it's the biggest thing in your life at that time. That's something that we, we've tried to teach our young people is in dealing with their friends and, and the issues that sometimes in life may seem a bit trivial, that, that whatever that person is going through is, is the biggest thing in their life to them at that point. But knowing that, that God will take care of us and see us through these things it brings a lot of peace in our lives. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. It, it's a wonderful thing to know that as Christians we have someone that loves us and cares for us and, and is always going to be there for us. A lot of people in the world can get to the point that they feel that, that no one loves them. And, and a lot of times when this happens, um, they seek out 
harmful ways to deal with the hurt they feel. <clears throat> but you know what? It doesn't matter if the whole world hates us. What matters is that as as God's children, we can still find happiness in knowing that He loves us, and and that is an everlasting love. That's that's not a love that that comes and goes. We also learn from Acts two thirty eight that when we become Christians, we're forgiven of our sins, and, and that can give us a, a lot of joy in our lives. Also, uh, while we're walking on this earth, uh, and knowing that we have become servants of righteousness instead of servants of sin. Another uh, great advantage of being a Christian is that we will have a much happier home life uh, than those of the world because the Bible teaches us how to love our spouses as we love ourselves and, and, and not to invoke wrath on our children, but to train them up in, in, in a peaceful life, in, in the life of a Christian. Now, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, be, being Christian doesn't always guarantee a happy home because there's still a human factor there. We still have to act upon those things that we've read. We still have to act upon the things that we are, are instructed to do. But a Christian home that, that, that follows the guidelines of what the Bible says will be a happy one. You know, I, I, I can promise you that, that Christian, that a Christian's home in general is going to be far better than a place, <clears throat> a far better place than the home of a sinner. And there's also a great advantage of it when it comes to suffering what this life deals out. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verses 16 through 18, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. <clears throat> And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You see, it doesn't matter what we go through on on this earth. We can take a lot of comfort in knowing that we still receive, that we will receive glory for the things that we have done uh, in heaven, but the sinner doesn't have this comfort, and, and they really uh, struggle when times of hardship come their way. As we conclude this evening, I want us to understand that as Christians, there are things that we must give up, <clears throat> and we need to realize that that those things we give up, those things that bring about a passing pleasure, will by no means compare to the reward we will receive in heaven. <clears throat> As we close, I want us to look at one last scripture. And here we find Jesus speaking about counting the cost in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 33. <clears throat> if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him or come him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has <clears throat> cannot be my disciple. 
Now let me ask you a question. Have you been looking at Christianity as a disadvantage? Do you be, do being, does being a Christian put a cramp in your way of life? If you've been thinking this way, it's time for you to change your way of thinking. Because until you're willing to put away your old self and separate yourself from worldly things, you will not be ready to count the cost of truly serving God.